0: If you have a Bible, open it to Titus chapter two. We're going to be looking at the first ten verses. Um, and what uh, what I said last week was that the the first four weeks of our series was really focusing on and looking at leadership in the church and the responsibility of the leadership of the church. And now Paul is shifting to communicating to the church and saying, "Here's your responsibility. Here is your." Type of leadership in the church and what you're called to. And so we're going to read Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine." Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior." So like I said, last week we we looked at the second part, really, of uh, elders, elders in the church, and how they lean into conflict and hold firm to the gospel for the growth of the believers. So in the first four weeks of our series, through chapter one, Paul really focused on the leadership of the church, but now this week, as we read, we're going to look at the people of the church, the people of God. And Paul is equipping Titus and instructing the church In what it means to grow into being maturing disciples that grow into following Christ and discipling others. And so Paul really outlines God's expectations for each of the four major groups of people in the church. That it's the older men. The older women, young women, and young men. And I think that order in there is really important because he begins with the men. Listen, if we're going to talk about living Christ-centered lives, it has to begin with the older men. They're the ones who should model this to the church. And then he, he closes out by talking about the young men. And so he outlines this. And though the word itself is not in our text, what, what I would say just kind of encompasses this whole thing and, and sums it up is the word discipleship. Because we need older men who will disciple younger men, and we need older women that will disciple younger women. But discipleship in the church has become more of something we identify with than something we respond to. That, that even, I, I believe we're, we're guilty of this here, that, that in church we've taken the teachings of Jesus and focused on how to memorize them rather than how to live them out. And so there's a big difference there. But the clear instruction here from Paul is to both Titus and the church in Crete that discipleship, this type of mentoring and training one another up into Christ, this type of discipleship in the church is what grows and sustains it. It grows and sustains it. I would say apart from the word of God and apart from God himself, whatever we try to create on a humanistic level to to grow and sustain the church is really going to fail and so we have all these other methods around here, kind of events and being programmatic, but discipleship is that intentional relationship that will grow and sustain the people of God. And so the first thing that Paul instructs is that it would be first through healthy doctrine. And doctrine is the core beliefs of the Christian faith. So, so t- sound teaching or doctrine, therefore, must point its boasting and its attention to the cross of Christ, And so this is why we see Paul bring up false teaching in Titus chapter 1. He addresses these false teachers and reminds Titus to address these false teachers that are communicating a false doctrine because it wasn't pointing to Christ, that the unsound teaching or or legalism of the circumcision party took away from the boasting in the cross of Christ. So the false doctrine that was being taught was really saying it's Jesus and, or it's this plus Jesus, or it's Jesus plus this. And there was all this multiplication that wasn't biblical and didn't align with the gospel. But as followers of Christ, you and I are called to boast in Christ. And so this is what Paul reminded the the church in Galatia of in Galatians 6, 14 and 15. He says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So healthy doctrine points us to Christ. And really from there, we're pointed to the truth of the gospel, and so Paul's instruction to Titus here in verse 1 of chapter 2 that we read is to really teach sound doctrine and, and healthy doctrine and also teach what accords with it. Because sound teaching, sound doctrine stirs, stirs God's people to good works. It stirs God's people to good works. So it becomes really the fuel in which the gospel is multiplied. But this is not multiplication of the gospel. This is multiplication in the gospel. So meaning the gospel is what motivates our multiplication. It's what motivates our discipleship because gospel belief motivates gospel behavior. Gospel belief motivates gospel behavior. So we aren't multiplying ourselves. That's not what it's about. It's not about multiplying ourselves. It's not multiplying our preferences, our styles, our own theological convictions, our our politics, our own views, and our own giftings. It's talking about multiplying followers of Christ that are motivated by the gospel, not by one person's personality so they want to be like them. And so Paul gives us an outline of what a mature disciple looks like when they are living and being motivated by the gospel. And he starts with the older men. And he says first that they they need to be sober-minded. And in other translations of the Bible, it would say temperate, meaning that the older and mature man is free from the excessive and the negative influence of passion, lust, and emotion. And so therefore, this is what it means for you older men, it's that you should be the one setting the tone to the church through your sobriety, through your reverence, and your temperate nature. You should be the one setting the example of what it looks like for a believer to be sober-minded. Then also he says they need to be dignified and self-controlled. That to be self-controlled means that they are not controlled by things of the flesh. And then he lists three things that they need to be sound in. And in that word that Paul uses to describe sound doctrine, the word sound is also referred to as healthy. Not being unsound, but sound. Not being unhealthy, but healthy. And so the first of the three, he says, they must be sound in faith. And this kind of personal faith is rooted in a daily walk with God as Father and is immersed, their life is immersed in the scriptures. So this man not only knows what he believes and why he believes it, but he knows who he believes. He knows who he believes and then also, Paul says he must be sound or healthy in love. Because when you're confident of God's love for you, then you're rooted like a tree. You're rooted and firmly planted. And from that, you, begin, you can begin to grow and flourish and bear fruit. So you're not tossed to and fro, you're, you're firmly planted. And also, I would say what Jesus says, actually, in John thirteen thirty five. By this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. And then also he says you must be sound, they must be sound in steadfastness. And we looked at that word steadfastness back in in the fall when we went over our series through the book of James. That steadfastness is to be firmly planted, unwavering or unshakable. And what I would say is that They're not only sound or healthy, but they're constantly being rooted in Christ. And and, and by that, they aren't swayed or tossed by other methods of thinking or living. And this is what you see between the the, the difference between a, a young man and an older man, that the older man becomes the example of someone who isn't shaken by every other myth, every other thinking. He's grounded in the word of God. And in fact, these men have experienced the difficulties and the uncertainties of life, and they've remained firmly planted in Christ. And so Paul reminds them they need to be sound in steadfastness. And then Paul instructs the older women, says they must be reverent in behavior, meaning that the way they act should show honor and respect, that they should not be slanderers. And what that means is that godly women. Speak the truth. Godly women speak the truth. A mature woman in Christ is not devilish in her speech, not not picking up gossip and spreading any little thing that she hears that comes her way. This woman has control on her tongue and her words, and she's intentional with what she says. And then also Paul says she's not a slave to much wine. And, And this doesn't mean That 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 a gal can't have a a good glass of cab as she so desires, but it means that she can't be addicted to it. This is clear of the church in Crete that that Paul continues to remind him that drunkenness is an issue. It's not being sober minded to give yourself to drunkenness. And and remember it's not Paul who first called this out. It was one of the Cretans' own prophets that said they were drunkards, they were liars, and they were evil beasts. This is their own description. And so Paul says they must not be slaves to much wine. And then also they must teach what is good. And this is really important because Paul is making it clear that the older women should teach, but to focus their time and their attention on what is good. There's a lot that you can teach someone else that isn't good, there's a lot you can teach. But this is this kind of teaching is not the format of of this kind of teaching. What Paul's instructing is the kind of teaching of more of a one-on-one, small group kind of teaching setting where the older woman would instruct and train the younger woman. And then also through that teaching, Paul says that they must train the young women. Here's the reality. There are many young women in this church today that have never been discipled by an older woman. They don't even know what that means. And I would say my wife included. That There are many who, who just have no idea what that means. No one stepped in to disciple them. So Paul gives really clear instruction on what to train the younger women in. And he gives this to the, to the older women. That for younger women... The older women must teach them to love their husbands and their children. And, and here's why, especially in, in the area of Crete, where they were given to all of these passions and they were swaying back and forth in all these relationships. What, what Paul's making clear that the older women need to teach the younger women is that a woman's first commitment under the leadership of Christ is to her husband and to her marriage, it's not to her parents it's not to her her relatives it's not to her her extended family or to her friends her very first commitment under the headship of Christ is to her husband and so there's no greater relationship on earth that god gives a married person than the spouse so that's where our loyalty must go first that the way a wife loves her husband will also i believe greatly affect how she loves her kids and vice versa and so the older women are instructed to teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children. And then also the older women are to instruct them to be self-controlled. And the best way to learn to be self-controlled, because I think this is a difficult life, lifelong kind of pursuit to learn to be self-controlled, the best way to learn this is to see it up close actively in the life of another to be able to sit with someone who's learned and pursued the spiritual maturity of being self-controlled. And then also, the older women are to teach them to be pure. The younger women must be pure, that she is, she is faithful to her marriage vows and sexually gives herself to only her husband. And then also, the younger women are to be working at home. Now, this one is difficult in our culture. I don't think it was difficult for Paul's culture. I think it was di- it's difficult for our culture here today and it's very ignored and debated and argued and even for some, the stay-at-home mom is viewed as the lesser task. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I don't believe that to be true. I think there's nothing wrong with a woman working outside of the home, but at the same time, I think there's great value to a mother and a, and a wife who's active in her home. So, so Paul's saying, work at home, be active in your home. I believe that to be very true. My, my wife had a very wonderful career when we got together. And we, when we found out that she was pregnant with our son, Micah, we decided together that she would stay at home. And I believe her role as a stay at home mom is a big deal. A lot of students that I worked with in student ministry, one of the most common things is that they'd go home, no one's there because mom and dad work and no one was working at the home. No one was working at those relationships. And in the commentary of Titus 2 by Charles Spurgeon, he says this, I love what he says about this fact. He said, there's no gain to the Christian church when the love and the industry and the zeal, which ought to make a happy home, are squandered upon something else. I love how he puts that. And then also, the younger women are to be kind. And being kind really means that the young woman is Christ-like in her approach towards others. She's Christ-like. So that doesn't just mean that she's kind to those she likes, but she's kind to those that don't like her. And then also, finally, Paul says they must be submissive to their own husbands, that the young women of Crete appeared to have needed to be taught to in fact love their husbands. See, that's interesting because nowhere else in the New Testament are women instructed to love their husbands. They're instructed to submit to their husbands, but Paul specifically tells the women of Crete to love their husbands. That's an important detail there, that that expression doesn't occur there anywhere else. But let me just say this when it comes to loving your spouse and specifically for a wife to submit to her husband. I'll just say this, and I've shared this before when we went over our Titus series. I married a woman, okay? So there's a difference between marrying a girl and marrying a woman. When, when, when a girl and a boy get married, you have lots of problems, okay? When a man and a woman get married, you will have conflict, but you understand your role more clearly, and so what, what that means that I married a woman means that she has thoughts of her own, thoughts of her own, and some of the time, if not all of the time, her thoughts are different than my thoughts. But that's a really good thing. So the submissive wife is not one who's passive and does whatever the husband says, and it gives no input and gives no suggestion behind that. I, I think that's a girl who misunderstands submission. A woman is going to weigh in on that, but follow submissively and voluntarily the leadership of her godly husband. Submission is not begrudging. Submission, as we see in Scripture, is voluntary, just as Jesus submitted to the Father. And so Paul really instructs the young women to encourage and to equip the young women in in these things, that the young women would grow up into maturity. And then also he instructs the young men But here's what's intriguing to me. Obviously, we understand the importance of the older men and the younger men getting together. But where he really explains the need for teaching is with the older women and the young women. And I will tell you, because I'm not a woman, I don't understand why women don't get together as much. But when they do, it's not for this. Not all the time. But when they get together, it's not always for the heart of discipleship. It's let's get together, let, let's kind of know each other. But what Paul's really describing here and instructing here is the importance on discipleship. Train them up, teach them to do these things. Then he also tells the young men to grow up into maturity, that they need to be self-controlled. So this means he's not seeking to be in control of, uh, of his life, his, his own thoughts and his own passions, that his desires don't rule him. What rules him is his love for God and his pursuit of God. That's what rules him. But his other practices don't rule him. And then also, Paul tells him to be a model of good works. This is their, this is the only responsibility given to one of the groups here out of the four. To young men, it's only given to them to be a model of good works. So people, what that tells us of scripture is people should be able to look at a group of young men in the church and see you actively modeling good works. They should be able to see you active in the body, serving the body. And then also, he says that young men must, must have integrity meaning that they're honest and they believe that their words and their actions are so important that they carefully and intentionally are are communicating in a way to not be unstable or inconsistent with both believers and non-believers. I think this is really important because in our day and age, in our culture, young men lack integrity. They lack integrity. You see that in their lack of follow through You see that in the words they choose and the the things they commit themselves to. A young man of integrity does what he says he does. He follows through. His words show what he values. And through integrity, he values Christ. He values his broken, messed up church. And so, young men must have integrity and dignity and sound speech. That in sound speech, we need to be careful with what we say as young men. Because just because we have a mouth to speak and and words to give doesn't always mean it carries wisdom and truth. And I think we see this in a lot of young people. They, They go around running their mouth with anything they think. And sometimes they just don't shut up and listen. And I think that's needed. This is why discipleship is so important, because none of these things happen overnight. None of these things are overnight growth points. This type of living has to be modeled in order for someone to learn it. It has to be put on display for someone in intentional discipleship relationship. Now, here's the interesting thing of some of my interactions as the pastor of this church is when I have conversations with our younger people, with our younger men and women, I'll have conversations about life or a current struggle or something they really desire to learn and, and, and it's been wonderful to walk through some of those things with them, um, but it's daunting to be the only one to walk through those things with them. And so I'll even ask them, well, why don't you ask fill in the blank to disciple you? Why don't you ask this person to disciple you, to be in, in that intentional relationship with you? And more times than not, the answer is, well, I feel like they're too busy. They have other stuff going on in their life. I don't want to put my problems on an older person. And then I'll have conversations with our older people. And I'll, and I'll ask, as they talk about wanting to be in intentional relationships, have you met, fill in the blank, have you, you should disciple this person. You should be in intentional relationship with this person. And, and, and young people, I want you to hear this. The, the older people will tell me, I, I feel like they have no interest in being discipled by someone. They, they come across like they're too busy and they know everything. So what that says is to, to our older and, and mature, not everyone, but matures, you reek of arrogance and you're quite ignorant. So the importance there for us, if we're gonna talk about becoming a church of discipleship is we're going to have to step out of our comfort zones. Something's going to have to change in our church. And we're going to have to step out of our own thinking if we're going to step into discipleship. But the question really that we need to first ask as we talk about discipleship is what is a disciple? That a disciple is someone who is following Jesus who is growing in obedience to Jesus, growing in likeness to Jesus, and someone who is fully committed to the mission of Jesus. And so that takes intentional relationship to step into that kind of discipleship. Because discipleship is all about being in intentional relationship that points to Jesus. And here's the scary truth. I pick on our young people all the time. So older people, I'm gonna pick on you for a moment. All the gray hairs in the room and non-hairs in the room. You you bet, Jim. (laughs) The scary truth is, if you are not willing to disciple them, someone else will. If you're not willing to step into what that may cost you, someone else will. And I guarantee you, it probably won't be another church. It'll be something counter to Christ. Christ. So I think there's, a, there's an issue there for us where it's so easy for us to be internal. It's, it's almost more natural to drift apart than to be connected together. That's why the beginning of the New Testament begins with all these incredible things about Jesus and then the book of Acts is all this incredible ministry and then as you read all the letters of Paul, it's all the problems of the church. Everybody wants the, the, the church of Acts chapter two. Nobody wants the church of 1 Corinthians, that's a busted up church. And so for us, we, we, with all these issues around us, we, we tend to just drift apart and, and we tend to get internal and we kind of gather in a space, give an hour, and we just hide. And it's really easy for us to show up on a Sunday morning for one hour, we put it on our schedule and praise God, that was awesome, let's go back next week. But for us to resolve this issue, for Christ in us, for these to be resolved, we have to choose to become the type of men and women that Paul's instructing in the church here. We have to ask, uh, am I in an intentional discipleship relationship that points to Jesus? I'm not saying in the last 30 days have you had coffee with someone and talked about uh, how neat Jesus is. I'm talking about intentionally, like the command of discipleship, what Jesus gave, that you've, that you've taught them all that Jesus has commanded, that, that you've intentionally stepped into seeing that they're a believer who's been baptized that, it, that is growing in Christ. So I think that's an important question for us to ask. Are, are we in intentional discipleship relationships that are pointing to Jesus? See, one of, one of the things that's really on my heart and my prayer is that we would become a church of discipleship. This has been my conviction for a long time, and, and I think this is overwhelming in the American church because we're all about come and see, we're not about the go and die. We're all about come and see Jesus, come and see the church, come and see the relationships. We're not about the go and die because it costs a lot. But back in December, one of the things I taught, I taught on discipleship. And and I shared with you the intention around sharing the book of Titus that that my desire in, in us going through the book of Titus would then launch us into a series on discipleship. And we would step into and be willing to step into the cost of discipling young people and young believers. And so one of the tools that we're gonna begin to use starting this morning that that I've used in previous discipleship settings that's been helpful is one that describes the spiritual growth of of a disciple. Now, what I want you to understand that's really important as I describe this to you is that this is supplemental. This is a helpful tool. This is not gospel, okay? This is not the core element of the word, and this is systematically doctrine, okay? I'm not going to approach it that way, but this is a helpful tool for us to understand where that person is at. Helps us understand where they're at, and even for ourselves, so that we can understand where we're at spiritually, and how to help other disciples grow in Christ. And so in those five stages, there's five stages with a point in between that first someone begins by being spiritually dead, that people in this stage have not yet accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. So they may have completely rejected God. They may be still seeking God. They, They may be spiritual, and they may even claim to know God or be a Christian, but the reality is they're their own God. They're not yet a follower of Jesus. They're spiritually dead. And then the next point, which, which I believe you cannot separate discipleship and evangelism. I just don't see that in scripture. I think they're one and the same. Um, and I think there are evangelists with that gift, but I think we're all called to evangelize and share the gospel. And so that next point is that the gospel would be shared and received. And when someone receives the gospel, then they enter into a discipleship process where first they're an infant. Where people in this stage have accepted Christ but haven't moved much past that point. And they can be, it could be a new believer that's just received Christ. They they might be a stagnant believer that hasn't matured. They may be a longtime Christian that doesn't understand the process of growing up into Christ. And so at that point, life is generally all about them and about their needs, it's more of an infant kind of process. And then you see the child where people in this stage are growing in their relationship with God and are also beginning to grow in their relationship with other believers. And they're applying God's word in their life and allowing others to walk beside them in their journey journey following Christ. But however, it's still mostly about them. It's still mostly about them, about their needs, about their comforts and so on. And then you see the young adult and none of these things are by age, but by spiritual growth. And that the young adult in this stage is someone who's really shifting from being self-centered to being more other-centered. That they're beginning to understand their role as a giver rather than as a taker. So they're beginning to minister to others, put others first, and being doers of the word, as James would say. And then finally, there's the, the spiritual parent and people in this stage have a solid understanding of God's word and a deep, abiding relationship with the Father. And so really what that looks like is they're living out God's word in their daily lives. So they're other-centered and God-dependent. That they're able to reproduce mature disciples of Jesus by inviting others to follow them as they follow Jesus. And so this process that I've used before, these steps, I've put in a discipleship form for you that's in the program. If you just grab that for a second. If you, if you had a program, if you don't, that's okay. You can grab one after. But in your program, this document is in there. And here's what I'm encouraging you to do. And let me say it this way. No, I'm, I'm not encouraging you to do this. I'm saying that this is a command for us to do this from scripture I mean, I, I near, church, I would near beg you to step into this because this is the call of the people of God. And so what this looks like in this form is a commitment to either be discipled or saying, I will disciple someone. And, and I will tell you, those of you in the room under 30, um, don't put that you'll disciple someone. You need to be discipled in that first. Unless you can give me a good reason why, you're not ready to disciple people. But here's the reality. I want to encourage you with the weight and conviction of seeing this in scripture to fill out this form and, and not just so that we can go, sweet, we filled out a form. We're the church that filled out a form and loves discipleship, but, but so that we can passionately respond to the call to make disciples. And so what that looks like as you fill that out, what that means is that then I'm gonna follow up with you and as Paul instructed Titus to see these relationships happening, I'm, gonna, I'm going to step into relationship with you to some of these discipleship relationships that I'm gonna follow up with you and, and help you understand not only where you're at in, in this stage process, but also where another person is at and how you can walk through that with them. That older men in our church would begin to meet with younger men and that older women in our church would begin to meet with younger women. And so then from that, when I follow up with you, I'm going to help you be paired with someone that you can begin to disciple. And and if needed, I'll, I'll provide you with resources, books, material that are great supplemental pieces in discipling others. But my prayer in this is that we would be a church committed to making disciples. Anything else I ask you, I ask of you, whether it's something above and beyond your giving, whether it's to ask you to step in and serve somewhere. Heck, I don't care if you don't give one water bottle for the outreach thing. I'll buy them myself. What I am asking for you, and I believe this is not a great suggestion of scripture, I believe it's a great commandment of scripture, is for us to step into discipleship. And this is what I believe is what God is calling us to as a church. There are many things that I'm, I'm beginning to just pray that God would change in our little church for us to shift more on a focus of discipleship. So that, that means what we teach, that, that means what we do programmatically, asking God, what, what do we need to remove from any of this in order to focus more on discipleship? And, and here's why, it's not because then we're all about ourselves, but discipleship points to Christ. Christ. So if we're a church of discipleship, that would mean that then we have the desire to grow in Christ, to be in deep, intimate relationship with Christ. But here's the, here's the kicker for us. That's only going to happen if we're willing to give of ourselves, to give of our time and our resources. So there's a sacrifice as you fill this out. And I'm not saying every morning, every, every minute of every day, you have to make yourself completely available to another person. But I'm saying you have to be committed to someone or a couple of people. Being committed to be in relationship with them. Not just sitting and reading a pamphlet and say, I discipled you. But be in intentional relationship with them. Where you're communicating and, and helping them grow in healthy doctrine that that would fuel gospel multiplication to where you as a mature believer can disciple a young believer. Let's pray.